Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. On an emerald green wall in the Imperial Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, also known as the Winter Palace, which was the official residence of the Russian emperors from 1732 to 1917, hangs Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal Son. As a missionary, I had the opportunity to study that painting alongside a throng of other tourists, and I was struck by the artistry, but more than that, the story that Rembrandt was telling through his painting. The focus of the painting was not on the prodigal son, whose face you cannot see because it is buried in the arms of his father, nor is it the story of the bitter older son who is cast in the shadows. The focus and the light is on the father and most specifically his hands, which firmly grasp his son in loving protection. Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley, where we probe some of the most important pressing ministry questions of our day. So often when we read the story of the prodigal son, we focus on the son and his wasteful actions. He wasted not only his inheritance, but the gracious love of his father as well. But as Rembrandt tells us, the parable of the prodigal son is not about the son, but about the Father, his unconditional love and acceptance. Our guest today, Judy Douglas, has experienced this parable in her own life. One of her children was constantly in trouble and could not accept the fact that she and her husband truly loved him. Judy Douglas is the founder and host of Prayer for Prodigals, an online community for those who love someone who is making destructive choices. She has served as an editor of two crew Campus Crusade for Christ magazines, has authored five books, and speaks all over the world. A writer, speaker, encourager, and advocate, Judy loves to encourage God's children to be and do all that he created them for. As a native of Dallas, she graduated from the University of Texas with a degree in journalism. Judy serves as the director of crew women's resources and partners with her husband Steve the president of Campus Crusade for Christ International to lead crew globally. Judy and Steve live in Orlando Florida. Her latest book When You Love a Prodigal provides hope and strength for the journey of loving one who has chosen a difficult and dark path. Welcome Judy. I'm so glad you're with us. Oh Haley I am so glad to be with you and to talk about topic that has changed my life. I'm so glad to hear some of your stories because I I believe a lot of us, a lot of people in the audience have people that that um, have drifted into these difficult paths and I think you have a lot of wisdom to share with us. And so, you know, this book that you wrote, Loving a Prodigal, um, it's a culmination of a very long journey. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. Um, my husband and I had two wonderful daughters, and and God said, I'm going to send you a son 
you don't need to do anything about it. And um, that didn't happen for a while. And I said, you know, I'm really content with my two girls. Why don't we just skip the boys? And he said, oh, no, I'm sending you a son, and he will be a gift. And so a few years later, a new friend turned to me and said, can you take an eight-year-old boy? Wow. And I, yeah, and I started to cry because God whispered in my ear, this is your son, your gift. So he came into our life as a foster child first, and um, he had all sorts of issues. He'd been growing up with his drug addict, alcoholic mother, and had a lot of issues that stemmed not only from some neglect and uh, abuse and the situations in which he lived, but because she had been doing drugs and alcohol while she was carrying him, he had issues that come out of fetal alcohol syndrome that affect the brain and uh, the ability to have cause and effect reasoning and remembering things. There was there were so many issues. And the first three years, he was a foster child, and he was challenging. Uh, his, life, his choices were not terrible. They were just actually coming out of feeling the realities of having been abandoned and his mom's choosing her addictions and uh, all of that. And, and, and so he just had a lot of needs, and we were not quite prepared for that. But we worked with him and loved him and tried, got him some tutoring, and he could barely read and write going into third grade. And so it was a hard three years. And then they terminated his mother's rights, and um, we had to decide if we would adopt him. Wow. And I was pretty sure God had not sent him sent us a son for three years. And so... But my husband had reservations because of the distraction that he was and how much of my time and attention he took and and how he had not been quite the little brother that our daughters were anticipating. Right. So we, we had a family conversation. And our one daughter, who's a counselor um, and has always been a lover of people, said, well, I don't know if I'm want to keep him, but I don't want to be the one who earns the rest of his life by rejecting him. Because yeah. even at 12 she was then, she understood the rejection that he had experienced. Right. That, Our other that's, daughter, you know, that is so powerful right there is, you know, so many of these children have, ex, you know, the very similar experiences and they yes, build they these do. walls of defense because they don't know what else to do. And in those formative years of where they need the nurturing, they need the attachment, and all they've experienced is rejection. And for your daughter to be had the wisdom at 12 to see that is pretty amazing. It, it, it really was amazing. But knowing her, we weren't really surprised at her response. Uh, our other daughter, that's 14, very 14, very self-focused at that season of her life, not strong in her walk with God. And with, she will say, no, no, we can't do this. But instead, she says, we just 
need to suffer gladly. God sent him to us. He must have things to teach us. And that's exactly the truth. Uh, He sent him to us, and he did have things to teach us. So we adopted him, and he went into middle school, and everything got a lot worse. Yeah. Uh, School was not easy. He spent his days in alternative classrooms. He was bigger and older than the other six straight boys, and he was became a bully, and uh, he just caused disruptions. And finally, the principal called me in and said, "If we have one more incident, we're going to um, kick him out of here." <laughs> That's not quite the way she said it, but so God led us to put him in a local residential program, Christian, where. Lots of good things happened. We had to kind of go through it with him, and it forced something wonderful, uh, and that was relationship to be built. Because of his issues with abandonment and rejection, he had, just as you said, built a huge wall around himself and was sure that we would not stick with him. We did not love him. And all of a sudden in this program, we were having to have conversations, been several hours at a time just being together, and it caused us to be able to build relationships. And then another wonderful thing happened. He met Jesus, and and that made some initial changes in his life and a desire to walk with God. And um, so when he came home from the program, um, he was committed to a good life. But it took him about a few weeks to find his old friends. Yeah. And things by then, he's 15, um, and it was just a mess. He started down bad paths. He was in a gang. He's drinking and alcohol, drugs, um, girls, cars, everything, stealing, um, spent a little time at juvenile detention, but a little time later in jail for a stupid thing he did, and just one thing after another. Well, you know those those friends were probably people that he related most to, because those type of friends were the people that had been through similar circumstances, and he felt comfortable with them. He gravitated to them all the whole time, even in third grade when he came to us he was immediately friends with other kids who had similar issues and and that was part of the problem and even now he will admit that wrong friends had a lot to do with bad choices sounds kind of biblical Uh, right (laughs) anyway life was hard and he would sometimes have good people come into his life and he would decide to reform or walk with God, and then that would last a few weeks or maybe even a few months, and then he'd be back to his old patterns. And it was a very hard 15 years of of bad choices and his inability to believe that we cared about him, that we loved him. And God had to do a major work in my life. (laughs) Well, you know, there's so many people that that have people like this in their lives that are, that maybe not 
they don't have the extent of the difficulties that that your son faced but similar circumstances where they're walking dark and difficult paths and so i wonder how did you maintain that hope and the um dedication and devotion to where you never gave up on him so many people look at people look at people in their lives and they think well they're hopeless cases they're never going to turn their lives around they're always going to make bad choices so how did you keep loving keep believing and keep hoping well i did keep doing those things loving believing and hoping but i did not do them perfectly of course uh we made plenty of mistakes a few quick thoughts on it um one early in this journey god told me something he said when you make mistakes with this boy and you will and of course i have he said make them on the side of grace which goes against all sorts of current uh what people would say to do with a prodigal child they want to be really tough with them god just said to me this boy needs grace and so that enabled me to give him grace. And part of how he enabled me was the sense I had that he had actually given his own love for Josh to me. It was like he opened me up and poured this whole vessel of his love into me so that I would be able to keep loving no matter what this could be. Mm-hmm. Another thing that was very important to me was a friend who was always here for me. He lived nearby, down the street, and if I called, he would come over and listen and let me cry and cry out to God and pray with me. And so I always had someone who was there for me. And of course my husband was too, but in a different way. He was very, very occupied with his ministry responsibilities. And it took a while longer for him and Josh to bond. Josh is our son's name. And, um, and, and so he didn't always understand my perspective on things. But, and then the, another incredibly important thing was what turned out to be the Prayer for Prodigals online ministry. Right. I, started asking, I started asking friends that I knew to pray. And I would send them a letter with some new prayer requests every month, an an email. And uh, I got those emails, by the way. I remember praying for Josh, and um, I got those emails. I was on that email list. Very much. (laughs) Then uh, God said, why don't you open that up? There are an awful lot of others who need prayer. And so what was started as a few people became a growing virtual community where we prayed for each other. It was safe and secure, so people could be very honest about their needs and their concerns and fears for their loved ones. And we prayed for each other for a lot of years. And I wrote to them once a month, and um, that's where this book came from, from the letters I wrote to them, the things that God was teaching me. Uh, the ways that God was helping me. And God just was there through it all, the the sense of, of grace and love, 
but also teaching me about his perspective of time and helping me uh, to pray well. I, I learned so much about prayer, and, and that was huge, to depend on the Holy Spirit because I don't have the strength or the wisdom or the courage, whatever it takes. He kept giving me uh, through uh, just letting the Holy Spirit be in control. And he did amazing things in my life for which I am eternally grateful. So what would you say would be the biggest lesson that you learned through this? Well, I learned about um, the fact that God's love is, as we say all the time, unconditional. And when I would, as I grew in love for this boy who was not able to return it, and I would wish he would, God said, Judy, unconditional love doesn't require any conditions for you to keep loving. And so I I got a, a whole new picture of how God loves us. And then I call it the flow-through nature of God. He pours it through us so that we can love others and not expect love in return, not expect perfect behavior. Um, another thing I learned is I, I learned to pray. Wow. I've been in ministry for more than 50 years. You would think I know how to pray, and I certainly thought I did because we did lots of praying. But this boy had me on my knees, on my face, uh, begging the Lord, teaching him, crying out to him, learning to say thank you, um, that he could receive any prayers that I sent that he would welcome them. He said, come on up to the throne of grace and let's talk. And I learned what, for me, is a picture that the throne of grace, to me, means it's a throne that God is on that is made of grace and and that he always received me with grace, enabling me to respond that way to this boy. I also um, learned... um, that God is always at work. Uh, we seem to look and it doesn't look like anything's happening. We've prayed for years, and and we still don't see the answers that we're looking for. And and God just kept telling me, he says, I'm working. You just can't see it. I will bring my good from this. You just can't see it yet, but you will. And so the fact that I can keep hoping because God is still working. And he says what he's done, that he's begun a good work and he will complete it. And I know that, that Josh uh, received Christ with those days at the program, and yet it didn't always look like it. In fact, it didn't often look like it. And yet the assurance that I had that he would absolutely complete the work that he had begun in him. And so, um, and the thing that's wonderful is these kinds of lessons don't just apply to a journey like this. They apply to anything in our lives. And our lives will have those hard times. Thankfully, most of us get to experience a lot of, of joy and the sense of God uh, working in our lives. And, and yet there will be hard times. And there are all my friends right now who have cancer my next-door neighbor who just had a double mastectomy, uh, and then people who are struggling financially. And 
you know, illness, health, uh, relationships, families that are torn, torn apart. I, I just had a prayer request from somebody who said our kids decided they wanted nothing to do with us and we don't even haven't even met our young grandchildren. And, mm-hmm. and so there are those kinds of things all over the place. And God just helped me through understanding his unconditional love, his unceasing grace, uh, his willingness to answer my prayers, and his assurance that he's working. Uh, I can walk through those things. I can encourage others as they're walking through it. It's an incredible blessing. And, and that's probably the, the last one that I would mention is the gratitude I have for what I've learned. I call them gifts or treasures from our son. Um, that he has done amazing work God has in my life through this boy, now <clears throat> grown man. So, that, And I learned to say thank you pretty consistently in everything. Well, Little things. You know, I have um, known you for, can you believe, almost pretty near a decade. It's a lot of years now. Yes, it has been. And I can personally attest that um, you are one of the most faith-filled, gracious, loving, um, supportive women that I know, and you are—you have wow. a ver- such a solid, loving presence about you. And so I can see how God has worked through this situation to transform your character as well as your son's. Yeah, I, thank you. I, he, I know that he's done a huge work in my life. Uh, my whole life was about wanting my own way until I met Jesus. And even then, it was a long battle with the Lord over whose way was better. But he sent Josh into my life to learn that he really knew what he was doing and his way is a lot better. Well, Judy, I'd love and to God, I, I would love to hear... Real quick, we have just a few minutes left, and so I have two questions for you. And the first, real briefly, how's your son today? How's Josh doing? He's doing well. He's 37. He's on his second marriage. He's married to a wonderful woman. They have two children. Um, He used to never work, ever wouldn't work. And now he's one of the hardest working people I know. He has, they both work, have jobs, but they also have a little farm. And my favorite picture of him is holding a newborn lamb, showing instead of this big, bully, angry person, this tender, gentle man that he has become. Oh, that's, that's a beautiful picture. I'm just imagining it is beautiful. Yeah. Holding a small lamb. Um, so my fa- spiritually, he's he's okay. He's still got a ways to go, but so do I. But he's he texts me every few week, every few days, and says, "Pray for me about this. Pray for me about that." And about the book, he said, "I hope it helps a lot of families." That's wonderful. So he's come so far. So far, and he's a good person. He's a Yes, and it just, you know, goes back to understanding that whenever you see people, you know, and I'm thinking about audience, the audience members who may have been struggling in similar situations that 
yeah. that behind all of that anger, behind all of that wall is a human being that is deeply loved by the Lord. And the image that I get in my head when I think about Josh and the wall that he had and the love that you gave, that love slowly chipped away that wall so that the light came in and broke through. And today he's a different person because of that. Yeah, he is a different person. And yet um, God used my faithful love and caring and compassion and grace, but he also provided all those things to me so that I could give them to this lost boy. And he's a found boy now. And, you know, he's still got to grow, but God is still working. Don't we all have to grow? <laughs> we do. <laughs> So what Always. what advice would you give um, or wisdom do you have for those who are struggling right now, as you did for so many years, um, loving someone who's maybe rejected them or maybe walking a dark and difficult path? Well, I would say a couple of things real quick. One, do your best to keep loving, to maintain relationships. What can happen in the frustration, the anger that comes, the giving up hope is that we say harsh things. We say things that push them away because of, you know, what's happening inside of us. And that just makes it all the harder for them to return, like the son in week 15, for that instead we need to speak to them with grace and let love grow through. That doesn't mean we don't have some boundaries and some consequences for actions because we need to. But if we could do it with love and grace, it will maintain relationships and tell them they're welcome. They're welcome back. Yeah. Maintain also your relationship with um, others in your family, a spouse, your ch- other children. That, that's very important because it's easy for uh a person who's wandering away to really pull you out of the other relationships. And so don't, don't lose that and be on your knees in the relationship with God because he is the source of everything you need and everything that loved person needs. And never, ever, ever give up. Right. <laughs> not always easy, but God not is a, not easy at all. What you need. Um, So, Judy, if people want to find out more about how to get your book, um, the um, When You Love a Prodigal, or if they want to learn more about the Worldwide um, Prodigal Prayer Day, where could they go Uh to find that that information? Well, the book, uh, obviously, you can buy it at any place you would buy a book, online or the bookstores don't carry that many books anymore, so you might have to order it. But it's online. It's pretty near any place. Right now, Christian books has the best price. Uh, but in the book, at the end, is information about the Prayer for Prodigals community. Because it's a, a secure community, you have to be invited in. But it's not that hard. Basically, they can write to prayerforprodigals at gmail.com. Okay. And you can say, I'd like to be invited in or I'd like to ask for prayer. 
and we will we will do that and respond. All right. Prayerfulprodigals at gmail.com. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, Judy, for being here with us today. I think you have uh, provided a lot of hope and a lot of um, moral courage for people to continue to to have hope in the people in their lives. Um, oh, so thank you so much for you. being here. Bless you. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can visit us online anytime at www.christiancurious.org. That's www.christiancurious.org. I'd love to hear from listeners. I'd love to hear your stories. You can email me at drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. Stay curious.